I think everybody has a desire to make something of their life. And if you look at your direct report and you're like, hold on, this person clearly doesn't know or clearly lacks the motivation, that's when you start thinking about the environment and whether that's helping elicit the best from that person. Hi, I'm Jenny. And I'm Harold. And this is Yo Manage. You just heard a tiny snippet from a brilliant conversation we had with our friend and leadership development expert, Steph Wong, all about having career and development conversations with your team members. And that's what this episode is all about. And since this is our first episode, we should probably explain what You'll Manage is about. Here's the deal. Who do you think is the most influence over how your life is going? Whether you're happy or miserable, whether you think things are going in the right direction or not going so well. Given how much time we spend at our jobs and how important our careers are to finding meaning and satisfaction in our lives, I think most people would say that their managers are in their top three. Yeah, that's definitely true for me. And as a manager, that's a huge responsibility I have as well. And I think I owe it to my own team members. And as you guys all owe it to your own team members as well as people to be good managers. Absolutely. And at the risk of being dramatic, I would say it's a moral imperative. So Jenny and I are both millennials. And as our careers progress, in the past few years, we found ourselves and our peers and friends having to manage people. And we've all found that it's really rewarding, but also extremely challenging. Yeah. And the thing is, no one really teaches you how to be a manager. You kind of just have to figure it out on your own. And so in that sense, they said to you, you'll manage. Get it? Yes, I get it. (laughs) So Harold, when did you first become a manager? So I first started managing teams when I was 24. So about three years into my career. And the thing is, No one said that these people are your direct reports or said you're a people manager now. But really, now that I think back on it, I was the person who was managing much of their day-to-day work, overseeing what they were doing. And I feel like I should have been proactively thinking about their growth, their development, and their careers. And I wasn't because no one was actively doing it for me as far as I could have seen. And nobody told me to do it for the people I was working with, let alone tell me how to do it. What about your experience, Jenny? Yeah, I mean, I totally get what you're saying because, you know, I was officially a manager when I was 27, but I would say thinking back in those first two years, I had no idea what I was doing. I thought managing people was just another item on my to-do list. If I needed something to be done, I just passed it to my direct reports to do. And it was really in the last couple of years did I realize that it's more than just an item on my to-do list. And this role of being a manager really, really sunk in. But the problem was that no one was actively teaching me how to be a manager. And it was something that I realized I had to do on my own, whether it was through reading books or, you know, what I found most helpful was speaking to friends like you, Harold, who I realized we're all going through the same journey of learning to manage people for the first time. So whether you are just starting to manage people directly or indirectly, like we were when we were in our 20s, or you're like us now, as we reach the 10 year mark of our careers, I hope that doesn't show our age, (laughs) or even those of you who have been working and managing people much longer, this podcast is for you. Exactly. We all have experience and insight to bring to the table, and we all have so much to learn, no matter how long we've been doing this. So Jenny and I are on a journey to learn from experts, from peers, from others, and we are going to share the best bits with you 
right here in this podcast. Yeah, and we have a great one for you today. So Harold noted that we're going to be talking about having career and development conversations. How do you find out what those reporting to you want out of their careers? How do you use that information to support their growth, keep them motivated at work, and make your team work the most effectively and happily? Definitely questions that I've struggled with. And so for some answers, let's welcome our friend Steph Wong, whose experience in talent management and leadership development have given her a tremendous amount of insight into this challenge. Hi, Steph. Hi, Harold. Welcome. Welcome to our <laughs> Hi, podcast. Jenny. Thank you very much. Living it's nice room. to be here. <laughs> I don't know what to call this. Let's start by talking about why knowing how to have these types of conversations with your team is so important. I would say, ultimately, what does a manager want from their direct report in terms of the bigger picture? You want people who are motivated and excited in their jobs every day, right? And knowing that things aren't going to be rosy all the time, but who have the resilience to bounce back and to take initiative and drive things forward. And part of that comes with knowing why you are doing what you're doing, not just knowing why you're doing a particular task, but also knowing why you are in that job at this moment in your life. What are you trying to get from it? Where is it going to take you? How will you know when you've achieved that? Because I think a lot of where the anxiety and maybe the sadness or the dissatisfaction sets in is when you don't know that. It isn't even so much an active hatred of your job, so to speak. It's just that indifference and unknowing and ambiguity. At least that's what I've seen in people. What is the purpose yes. of career conversations? Yeah, I'm really glad that you bring that up because I think when a manager thinks about like their regular one-on-ones with a direct report, oftentimes it feels a little bit like a status update. So it's like, all right, well, how is this project going? Do you need any help, et cetera? And then that's kind of how it ends. What really makes a manager a great manager is one who's able to really engage in development conversations. Now, sometimes career might not be an automatic part of that development conversation, but it really should be. So the reason we wanted to bring you into the studio today, and by studio, we mean my living room, is because those conversations can be so difficult. If you ask me when I was starting out in my career, even you know to some degree today, what I want to do, what I want my career to look like, I, I don't really know. And I can't articulate it very well. So you know. And yet we have to be in a position where we have to conduct those conversations <laughs> with our direct reports. Exactly. So what are some ways that we can help people talk through it and elicit that from them? Yeah, I think oftentimes when we think about career conversations traditionally, the image I have in my head is somebody sitting opposite another person saying like, all right, so what's your five-year plan? And I think rarely does anyone just have that clarity of purpose, you know, so immediately and so able to draw from. As somebody who might be starting out in the workforce, a lot of it is still happening in an experimentation mode. They might have an idea of what they're interested in. They might have some idea of what their skills are and what they're good at. And a lot of coming into the workplace in the very beginning is just throwing yourself into all of these different kinds of projects and trying to figure out what sticks and what makes you feel a sense of flow. So in addition to giving a wide variety of different kinds of projects that your direct report might be able to work on, there are a couple of tools that also help sort of enhance that kind of self-awareness. While you might have an idea of what you're good at and what you're interested in, there's also something to be said about what other people notice about you. I remember in some leadership programs that we ran as part of the self-awareness course, we would ask them to ask their colleagues from different departments to give five adjectives to describe them. 
And then they would eventually have a collection of maybe 100 adjectives or so and then be able to group them. And that gives them an idea of how they show up in the workplace, what people really appreciate about them. Anybody with imposter syndrome, when faced with those kinds of adjectives, would also be able to trust that, you know, they're just not faking it in the world. Like these are actually things that people see. Right. And value. So you would say the goal is to understand from others what your strengths are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it, it always goes hand in hand, right? One's awareness of oneself is just one side of the coin. And then the other side of it is what people perceive and actually see about you. Are there any examples that you can think of where someone was very surprised yeah, I, I remember hearing from one colleague who had been very stressed out and didn't seem to think that she was doing a very good job. And then finding out that her colleagues found that she was like extremely helpful, extremely friendly, very capable. All of these were things um, that were happening when she thought that she was letting everything slip through the cracks. So that, I think, helped her understand that she has very high expectations of herself. When you have those adjectives, what do you do with them? So um, in the context of a leadership development program, part of the self-awareness program is really thinking about your personal brand in the organization. So having those five adjectives can help feed into that as you think about what do you want to be known for in the organization? By virtue of you stepping into a room, what kind of environment do you bring with you? What are some other concrete things that we can do to help direct reports work through understanding what they want out of their careers and how they can develop that? Yeah. So if we move into more career specific things, there are a couple of exercises also from Design Your Life, which is a, a book that came from two Stanford D school professors. One of the exercises is called a good time journal. So essentially for 30 days, you document every single thing you do. Now, that doesn't just mean like meeting one, meeting two, meeting three, meeting four, meeting five. Like you really think about how those meetings went and what stood out to you, maybe what you enjoyed or what you didn't enjoy. In addition to what happens during your workday, you also do that for other activities that you might have in your life. Maybe there was a date night. Maybe there was a family dinner. Maybe you watched a play. And in addition to noting specifically how you felt in all those moments, you also uh, give yourself a score across two main categories. The first one is engagement and the second one is energy. So engagement refers to how engaged you were when you were actually doing the activity and energy refers to, after the activity, how much energy do you feel like you gained or lost? So one of the really interesting things that comes out of this is that you can also end up drawing quadrants to see like what might be an activity that's high engagement and high energy, what might be high engagement but low energy. So for example, you were highly engaged in a fight, but then it sucked <laughs> all the energy out of you after. And that often is an easy way for you to see the themes. And I think a lot of it is about theming to be able to understand the themes of what essentially gives you life at work. And one of the other categories that's also helpful is thinking about a state of flow. Flow is a concept that refers to when you're doing a particular activity time just melts away. You are entirely absorbed into this activity. It is the right level of stress and challenge. And so you have just enough pressure to make you productive. It is within your capabilities, but just hard enough to continue to be engaging. And so I think that's also like a big indicator what really can drive you. Would you suggest I ask my direct report to go through this journaling exercise and come back and we have a conversation around it? Or is it more like, you do it yourself and you reflect on it yourself. 
Yeah. So actually the exercises are all um, created to be something that you can do individually. But at the same time, I think depending on the relationship that you have with your direct report, you know, like their comfort with telling you about maybe their personal lives, all of that feeds into each other. So there isn't a specific way of doing it. I know that when I've done it with other coachees, that it helps to be able to help them theme it. And I, I mentioned the theming because I think that's quite important because when you're just in the flux of life, there are so many things that are happening to you, so many things that demands your attention that it's hard to figure out like what are the similarities or the commonalities of the things that really give you joy or that really suck energy away from you. I think a lot of it is just about trying different ways. But for example, Mm -hmm. in a development conversation, then you'd be like, I'm assigning you this good time journal. And then the next time we meet, we're going to look at all the ones that give you energy and we're going to find all the themes over there. And then it's also helpful for the manager because then you know what that person's strengths are and what sucks energy out of them. I actually think it would be a really fun team exercise too. Sitting around a table, sharing what you're journaling, like this gave me really high energy. This was really low engagement. So therefore you also know their boundaries and what sets them off or what frustrates Mm -hmm. them. So as a team, you probably get to know each other better and know how to work better with each other. Yeah, there are so many ways for this to happen. I mean, I know that when I did this, I had created a life design group with like three other friends. So we met on a monthly basis and then we worked through all of these exercises. When I shared it with them, they were also the ones who were able to see like, oh, it's very clear that this is one of your main themes. So one of my favorite, favorite activities, I want to share two more that are around career and self-awareness and understanding. One of them is similar to the the journaling that I just talked about, except it's called AEIOU. And that one really is about thinking about your top experiences that you've had in your life, whether they be work-related or life-related. So AEIOU stands for Activities, Environments, Interactions, Objects, and Users. So for example, think about the top experiences that you've had in your life. And then for each of those, you would note down what activity were you doing? What was the environment like? What were the interactions like with the people there? Were there any kind of objects? Were you creating something? What kind of users were there? Who were the people? What made you enjoy being around them? If that, for example, was something that you really liked. And then so with that, again, we're going back to the idea of theming. We're going back again to trying to understand what gives you joy, what makes you feel a sense of satisfaction. So that exercise is called mining the mountaintop. Um, You can also actually do this too for your least satisfying experiences, which as you can imagine, might also be a lot darker. So I don't think that's necessarily something that people might want to really do with their managers. But I think just for anybody to know more about what really sucks energy away from them or what really gives them energy. Right. And they don't have to be your darkest, darkest moments, I guess. It can just be, you know... I, I get really frustrated at meetings at work and maybe I, I look into AEIOU and I realize, oh, it's the fact that everyone's on our laptop as an object yeah. that's making this meeting so mm-hmm. frustrating. And I actually do enjoy having those discussions, just not when yeah, everyone's sure. on their laptops. Distracted. So that's one of them. And the one that tends to be the most fun is something called Odyssey Plans. And then so that's essentially a fancy way of creating five-year plans, but very visual five-year plans. And you're going to make three of them. The first one is about your life as it's going right now. You know, you might map out how long you want to be in your current job. You think about maybe holidays you want to take or like hobbies that you have, how you want to develop them. Normal life. The second life is whatever you were doing has just disappeared. 
So for example, like I was previously in human resources. So say HR just like disappeared as an industry that I could work in. What are the other skills that I have that I could fall back on, that I could make a career at least like a living for a short period of time out of? And then you build that out for five years. And then the third one is if you had all the resources in the world and if you did not care what other people thought, what would your life look like? And then so all of these exercises are on the Design Your Life website and they're just these open worksheets that you can access. But I think particularly with the Odyssey plans, it's very interesting for you to, for example, after creating all three of them, realize, oh, hey, do you know what? I like the life I'm living currently the most. Or, hey, maybe there are things that I can take from like my crazy, wonderful, resource-filled life that I can bring into my current life. And I think that's also just an exercise in imagination. And career shouldn't be something that you just sit around and think about extremely strategically in very rational ways. Building a career also involves a lot of risk-taking maybe and imagination. And the activities that one has around that should also reflect that. Were there some interesting Odyssey plans that you've come across? Yeah, I, I remember somebody who unearthed this desire to work in government and politics that he had sort of like put to sleep a while ago when he was a teenager. He was able to like blow the dust off of and reignite or, or at least think about that in a different light. I think acknowledging those different parts of you, like that's kind of what these exercises do. This is just my hypothesis, but I think the things that we sort of latch onto in our adolescent years or university years have something to them. And I don't think they ever really leave us. And then so oftentimes it's like case of like trying to unearth that again. So is there the best time to conduct one of these exercises? What would be your suggestion in terms of um, scheduling or mapping out these kind of career conversations and yeah, exercises? Right. Another great question. I do think that there needs to be rapport built and trust built before you get into these kinds of activities, because that is requesting a lot from your direct report. And you can't do that from sort of like an orientation level. Also, a lot of it is you kind of offering these as potential activities. Um, and it is their choice, ultimately, to decide whether or not they want to explore this further. And I think keeping that in mind, as opposed to being like, this would be good for you. You know, I highly recommend that you do this. Just like framing it in a different way, especially when you have direct reports who um, are just out of university and are still trying to sort out what they like and what they don't like. So how we approach it might vary based on their comfort level of sharing certain things. Um, and I think that speaks to something that's pretty critical in being able to have these conversations, which is whether they're comfortable with you, whether they trust you. How do you establish that rapport? Yeah, I think that's a million dollar question, right? <laughs> All right, here's a million dollars. Yeah, that really helps, Harold. Thank you. <laughs> I think it really comes down to people just feeling that you genuinely care and are interested in their lives and their futures. That's not something that can be faked. Um, right. That just is in the way that you approach the conversations. It's in the questions that you ask. It's in your ability to read a person and to check whatever kind of like micro gestures you might be exhibiting. It takes as much self-awareness on your part in order to be able to model that kind of behavior or like honesty that you also want to be seeing from your direct report. 
Or I hear sometimes from people who might say like, well, I, I feel like this information is owed to me because this person is my direct report. Like they should be telling me about these things. And then when it turns into that kind of extractive sort of relationship, then I think that's where everything crumbles. Harold, how do you build that report with your team? Yeah, that's a million dollar question. And we already spent our million dollars on stuff, so I'm not sure. <laughs> We're broke. Please sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, I think what stuff just talked about is very true that you need to care and you need to show you care. Part of it is knowing that there's always going to be some level of distance. You have a certain power over them, their career, their lives, and that's not going away. And you need to recognize that. So you need to give them the space to decide I don't want to share this with you. And as long as you're clear with them why you're doing it and how it might impact them if they choose or choose not to share, it could be as simple as saying, I'd love to have this conversation with you so I can better understand what drives you. Then I can help make sure that you're doing the things you you want to do at work and that you're building the career you want to build. And if they say, I'm not prepared to share all this information with you, then acknowledging that perhaps they're not giving you all the information you need but I think that's that's okay. And then I think a third thing I would say is that it's very important to draw the lines between the conversations you have, which are about evaluation and performance, and the conversations you have about development and career. Because if they feel they share some information in the context of a development and career conversation, and you treat it in a way that's used against them in a performance or an evaluation context, then that would prevent them from ever feeling like they could share something Mm -hmm. with you again, whether it's a work struggle or a personal struggle that you reframe within the context of, oh, that's why he's not been doing the thing that I want him to be doing. And that's a very easy, quick way to destroy the trust. Interesting. So touching upon trust, uh, you know, I read recently in, in, in another book, which was also about making people feel secure. So when they feel safe, then they feel like they can share. And I think it's reciprocal too. As a manager, I try to share as much as I can. It's my way of showing model behavior. And then so therefore they reciprocate um, and they're more willing to share. Yeah, I think a lot of it is lies in the the consistency of the manager, yeah. right? It's right. like you were saying about the role modeling. I do think that there is a general attitude and I think that's just open, gentle curiosity in the direct report in where they're coming from and in what their interests are. And it's really about being there and and noticing those things and being able to reflect it back to them. If someone doesn't care about the direct reports, like it's people and their inner lives, <laughs> is that something, yeah, like, you know, you, they come in. Can you, you coach someone to care exactly. about people? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. (laughs) I used to be in a reverse mentoring program. And then so I was the millennial who was assigned to one of the senior managers. Oftentimes when we were talking about these kinds of things, my mentee would just say, oh, well, you know, doesn't everybody want that? Right. Doesn't everybody want to be developed? Doesn't everybody want to be in a team where everybody is giving their all? And I think when you couch it and just like, not just, oh, you should care, right? Because I think it's easy to, I mean, I don't think it's this way, but it's easy for people to dismiss it as, well, that's just soft, you know, that's that's not what managing is about. But I think when you talk about it in terms of if you want to get the most out of your team, if you want to have a team that stays together, if you don't want to be hiring people all the time, then these are some things that you can try. I think everybody has a desire to make something of their life. And if you look at your direct report and you're like, hold on, 
this person clearly doesn't know or clearly lacks the motivation. That's when you start thinking about the environment and whether that's helping elicit the best from that person. And I think it's helpful to also like reflect on yourself and think about the circumstances and the environments and the opportunities that you're creating for them. People want to make something of themselves and in general, they want to improve. So your direct report, they are going to stay with you maximum two years if you're Mm -hmm. lucky. And then maybe they're going to leave you for a company that's going to pay 20% more. And so you can wring your hands about it and you can be really upset and be confused about why they're not loyal, or you can just figure out ways to help co-create a future with them within the company and also beyond. So I would often encourage them to um, talk to their direct reports about just like really what interested them and what their future goals were. And so once you had those future goals in mind, then everything you did or everything that you would work on with your direct report, you'd be able to connect it to that future goal. Um, A lot of it was just about genuinely taking interest in your direct report. And it sounds so simple, but um, I think for a lot of people, they thought, you know, it's a professional relationship, right? We shouldn't need to talk about these things that do with the inner life things like motivation and things like how you want to grow. And I think a lot of direct reports also felt worried, right, about expressing their future goals because they're not used to somebody asking them to do it. And then their Mm -hmm. managers, nobody had ever asked them. And at the risk of just rambling, there's one more thing I wanted to say, (laughs) which are having conversations that are purely about development, where you don't discuss anything that's just work related. It really is purely about that person, how they are working towards ultimately, you know, their future goals and their dreams. And I think that oftentimes people after having received an hour or 90 minutes of just like really conversation purely about them, it makes a huge difference. So how do you take those insights as a manager and channel them into something actionable? When I think back to my own experience, one of the things that really stuck with me was how early on and I was in a brand new industry in the financial services sector. And I had a really intuitive great manager who early on realized that my interests were around more international development work. So once she was able to sort of elicit that from me, every time that I might be facing any particular challenge, she'd be able to be like, yeah, I know you're having a really hard time with that particular stakeholder. If you ever want to do your international development work or be in the UN or anything like that, this is a skill that you really need to have. And I think that played a really large role in me feeling like she was on my side and looking out for me and caring about how I grew, not just in the context of my um, contribution to, to the company. Right. But it did also have a benefit of enabling you to contribute better to the company. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) See how she did that? (laughs) (laughs) Once you have a better idea of what gives energy, what takes away energy, you can design experiences that allow for your direct report to be able to tap into those parts of themselves that do give them joy. It means then that anytime you might be trying to grow them in a certain area that might feel uncomfortable, that you just have more context. And I think it enables you to just really immerse yourself in a little bit more empathy for your direct report. Once one has a better idea of what those themes are, then you can go deeper into them because the themes themselves might be fairly broad. But if you're looking um, into like what's a specific skill that you might want to draw out of this, those are all different kinds of things that you can dive deeper into. Once you have those themes, then it allows you to kind of delegate work across your team according to people's like true strengths and true strengths also that give them a sense of satisfaction. Because I think sometimes you can be good at things, but they're not your favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what are some upcoming projects that 
are on the horizon that the manager can see that maybe the direct report can't. And then so maybe that would help them with their future goals. Ultimately, the things that they're doing that will help them with their future career and whether what they're doing currently will do that. Once you have sort of more clarity around that, I think that can go really far in also just like creating the kind of environment where people, you know, continue to want to grow themselves. That's really key, isn't it? To create an environment where people want to grow themselves and are able to grow themselves and to figure out how to guide them along in that journey. Well, I think that's really a perfect note to end on. Thank you for spending time with us, Steph. No, thank you for having me. So thanks again to Steph for sharing our insight. It was a ton of knowledge. Jenny, what was the one thing that you took away that you feel like you wish you had known early on in your career as manager? I would say just this concept of having career conversations is something I wish I knew earlier. I didn't even know that that could be an option in terms of a conversation you would have with your direct reports. Like as I mentioned before, I just thought being a manager was just managing a to-do list for your direct report. So, you know, if I had known it earlier, I probably would have been a more effective manager for my direct reports. How about you, Harold? I think it's always easy to get stuck at this point where you just ask someone, oh, what do you like? What do you not like? What do you want to do? And they don't have a good answer for you. And I really wish I had some of the tools that stuff shared today that help people find that out for themselves so that then they can share it with you. So things like the journaling that stuff talked about. Yeah, and even those things, I feel like it would be fun for us or meaningful for ourselves to do as well, not just for our direct reports. So let's try to recap the three things that you can work on when it comes to having more effective career conversations. First is genuinely caring about your team members, not just as employees, but as humans with a life and aspiration beyond their current job and company, and showing you care as a way to earn their trust. Second is helping them build self-awareness by going far and beyond asking the dreaded question of, so what do you want to do? Using exercises like collecting adjectives from colleagues, getting them to keep a good time journal, or do an AEIOU exercise to understand what gives them energy or sucks energy, or thinking imaginatively and expansively about the future with Odyssey Plants. To learn more, you can visit you'llmanage.com where we've got more details about the designing your life exercises and links to the worksheets that Steph mentioned. And third is actually taking what your team members share with you and connecting it to their work and responsibilities. Help them find more joy at work by giving them tasks that give them energy, give them projects that help them build towards their Odyssey plan features and motivate them by drawing links between their aspirations and the work that they're doing so that they have a greater drive to overcome challenges. And doing so will help feedback into showing that you care, helping to build trust and report, which I think is probably the most important part. Absolutely. It's a virtuous cycle. And we hope today's episode gives you some tools and inspiration to kick off that cycle with your teams. And if you have any questions or experiences to share, we love to hear from you. Drop us an email at feedback at you'llmanage.com. Thank you so much for tuning in to our first episode. Please subscribe and give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts so that others can discover You'll Manage as well. Until next time, we're here to reassure you, You'll, you'll manage. manage. Still listening? Here's an outtake from this episode. Yeah, I think I want the bag of, ch- uh, a bag of chips. <laughs> I'm going to say bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> we would love a bag of chips. We can talk. This yes. episode was brought to you by Doritos. Doritos. Yeah. <laughs>